Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in chapter 18, Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And if you're able to remain standing for the reading of God's word, let us do that in reverence. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1, when you got it, say so. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. And say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for your words that are true. Thank you for your words that change us, that sharpen us, that challenge us, that call us higher. Lord, we humble our hearts before you this morning. In reverence, we come and we ask, Spirit of God, speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Lord, I I, I don't want us to just be hearers, God. I want us to be doers. I don't want us to just know what you think or know what you say. I want us to care about it. Forget what I want, Lord. You want us to care about it. And so, Lord, let us not take lightly the inspiration of your word. Let us be attentive, Lord. Let us hear your voice today. We pray this in the holy and strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to take notes that you are able to follow along, and that way you can hopefully take this home and and meditate on the truth, meditate on the scriptures. That's the hope, is that you'll be able to go beyond just being in here and hearing this message, uh, that you will be able to think about what it is that the Lord has spoken to you. And let me just say this, the Lord may speak now in the time of the preaching of God's word, uh, if, you, if, you need a, if you need an outline, raise your hand. You know, you might need to raise it a little higher because they may not see you, praise the Lord. And just hold it up, wave, wave at them, glory to God. Be like, yo, what's up? Like, you know. But we, 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 we want to be sure that we are hearing from the Lord, that we are hearing from him. And you could have been in worship and the Spirit of God may have spoken to you while you were in worship. That happens often where you sense that still small voice. And so there's a, on your outline, there's a question there. What do you believe the Lord spoke to you today? He may have spoken to you something, and you should write that down. And, and, and what are you going to do with that? 
How are you going to obey him? As you're in the, in the, in, in, under the preaching of God's word, he, he should. I pray that he speaks to you. I've been praying for you all week, by the way. Hallelujah. I've been praying that God would speak to you, that God would let you hear his voice, that you would obey him, that you would walk with him. As we got caught up in this moment of worship and, and, and this, this theme and the song of holy and God being holy, how appropriate it is as we are in the book of Leviticus and we are continuing through a call to image bearers, a call to image bearers. What is the call to image bearers? Well, we are the image bearers of God and God calls us to be holy as he is holy. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. He calls us to live righteously before him. And as we've been going through the book of Leviticus, we have seen that God has some pretty high standards. Amen. As we look at God's word, and, and I want you to re remember this always, please. The Old Testament was written for us. Someone say amen to that. A lot of times for us as New Covenant believers, that's what we are, we're New Testament, New Covenant believers, we think that the Bible started speaking to us like at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> like, that, like that's where God started speaking. And, and listen, I, I'll tell you right now, 20, we're going to celebrate 20 years here. Come on and give God a hand of praise, right? We're going to celebrate 20 years, and, and I can assure you that I have preached the least out of the Old Testament. My brother Ricky, he's brought that to my attention on a couple of occasions. But the, the fact is that I, 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 I preach the New Testament because we are New Testament, New Covenant believers. Nonetheless, I need you to know something. The Old Testament is there for our instruction. The first church did not have the New Testament. Hello. Those things were being written to the church, and God was using the Old Testament like Leviticus, praise the Lord, to speak to his New Covenant believers what is it that God is communicating? And so God is still speaking through the book of Leviticus. I always give you homework. So if you're taking notes on this and you're really following the homework, you got a lot of homework this week. This week you're going to read from chapter 17 to chapter 25. Hallelujah. If my math is correct, I think that's nine or something like that, right? I don't know. Some, some, some amount of chat. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, nine. There you go. Amen. I was right. I was right. I checked right in front of you. My math is, I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not a math guy, but nonetheless, Nine chapters, so you're going to have to double up a couple of days. Praise the Lord. But I encourage you to sit down and read chapters 17 through 25 so you can grasp the things that we're going to run through today. Because obviously, if I went through those nine chapters, we would be here until like Monday morning. Glory to God. And I know you didn't plan to fast today, amen, praise the Lord, and you're ready to go to lunch. But, not, but, but, but we do want to see what the scriptures say. We want to see what God is communicating. And so as you see in your outline here, as we consider God's instruction to Israel, the details, the specificity, and the emphasis on God's holiness being the motivation for their obedience, we have to understand God has not changed. As we were in worship and we were declaring holy, I was going to exhort you and let you know, you know, when you are singing holy, you are connecting with an eternal theme. Hallelujah. Because when we read the book of Revelation, for those of you that were here when we went through that series, you see that the angels in heaven, that there is a proclamation that is being made in the heavens, an eternal proclamation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You go back to the book of Isaiah and you will notice that hundreds of years before John got the revelation on the island of Patmos, when Isaiah had the revelation of God in the picture of the throne room, guess what was being said at that moment? Holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so if you don't like singing holy, man, you better get used to it because that's eternal. 
When we pass from this place to glory, I think we're going to sing a lot of holy. And what I know is that God is revealing himself, showing himself. The angels are seeing what that word holy means is different, separated. There, He's different. That's the theme. And so looking at Leviticus, we are here, and we have to realize that God has not changed. Pastor Aldo, he was going to actually, yeah, God has not changed. Pastor Aldo was going to actually preach this sermon, and I liberated him from the nine chapters. Hallelujah. He was grateful when I sent him a text. I was like, hey, you know, did you already prepare that sermon? He was like, no, glory to God. And he never responded to a text so quickly. I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's not true. I'm messing around. I'm just kidding. Pastor Al is very good with text messages. Now, some of you, amen, sent a text message to the men. I'm like, hey, can you all respond? Let me know you got it. Three men responded. I'm like, wow, only three men got text messages from me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Anyway, I, I digress. But when I spoke to Pastor Aldo and he was, we, we had the conversation, he's like, hey, let's talk. I was like, yeah, let's talk. He's like, man, if there's one thing, he's like, I like started three different sermons when I was getting ready for this. And I'm like, yeah, I can imagine. It's tough. You know, you get, here's nine chapters. Go ahead, preach one sermon. Amen. That's tough. He's like, I started here. I started there everywhere. I was like, okay. He said, but you know what? One thing that I got out of this is God is in the details. God is in the details. Listen, look at your outline. There is no area of your lives that God isn't concerned about and doesn't have an opinion. Are you here? There is no area of your lives that God is not concerned about and doesn't have opinion, an opinion about. The question is this, do you care about the Lord's opinion? That's the question. The question is, do, does his opinion matter to you? Do you care what he says about those areas of your lives, right? Because I'm going to tell you what, you know, I hear, I hear people talk a lot of times, especially, you know, Christians, they get real deep in, in the stuff, and they talk about all these gray areas. And I'm like, gray areas, okay, okay. There's a lot more black and white than we realize. We get so concerned about the gray areas, right? But there's a lot of crystal clear stuff here that God is talking about, and we're just not paying attention. We're ignoring him like he didn't speak about it, like he doesn't have an opinion, like he doesn't say something. And listen, when you get really like locked into the black and white of what God has said, and you really dive into the truth of what is in the scriptures, guess what? Those gray areas, they become pretty clear. Because you start to live in those gray areas like, no, 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 God is holy, Hello. You don't, you don't suddenly think, well, God was super holy in the area of marriage, but over here, he's not really holy. God was super holy in the area of finances, crystal clear on what he thinks here. But over here, I don't even have anything to say. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. We, we need to have a restoration of the fear of God in our hearts. Sister Marianetta, she sent me an article uh, from uh, Pastor Mike Winger, who he came a couple of years ago, and he was speaking on the importance of the fear of the Lord. And she is being rocked in this moment of this, this concept of the fear of the Lord. Praise the living God. The fear. Can I tell you something? We love to talk about the love of God, but you know what? You will never fully understand the love of God till you understand the terror of God. See, it's not until you understand that you are worthy to be obliterated for your sin, that you are, and, and not, not just worthy, because see, it'd be one thing like if someone said, yeah, you're worthy to be obliterated, but I don't have the power to do it. But when you understand that you are worthy to be obliterated for your sin, your thoughts that nobody knows about, but God sees all of them clearly, are you here? 
for those private activities that you do that nobody knows about, but God knows. Because, you, you know, you can't just walk away from God and be like, God, you stay on that side of the door. Like, I don't know what we think we do with God. Like, does he go in a box somewhere? Does he? I don't know. But, but when you understand that you are worthy of obliteration and he is able, look, he created everything from nothing. So trust me, no matter how big, strong, and bad you think you are, you are easily obliterated, like better than Thanos. Come on now. I'm inevitable. Uh huh. Uh-huh, yeah, you're obliterated. <laughs> but this is the God that we serve. He is holy. And he loves you. He died for you, he shed blood for you. So that way you are not obliterated. Hallelujah. So that way, instead of obliterating you, he can love you. He can bless you. He can be in relationship with you. Y'all remember when we talked about the Day of Atonement? You remember that, right? I hope you were listening. It was just last week. I know it seems like forever and a day, but it was just last Sunday. We were talking about the Day of Atonement. And remember his exhortation to Aaron and his sons? Don't come behind the veil except one time a year because I will show up and you will die. You know what's the beauty of the New Testament that we live in? Is that Jesus' flesh is symbolic of the veil, and he tore the veil so that way we could enter into his prayer. That's awesome. That's what he did for us because he wants relationship with us. He's into the details. The question is, does it matter to you? Does his opinion matter enough for you to dig in to the scriptures, to, to spend time in God's word? Is, does it matter enough to you to just sit before him? I think last year I told you how the Lord had challenged me uh, about a specific time with him and spending 15 minutes at the end of worship just silent before him. Does he matter enough? I challenge you to do that. I told you it would be challenging to sit there silently before God. I know me, my mind is running like a thousand places. Like two minutes, I'm solid. <laughs> After minute two, it's like, you know, everything that I got to do in the day is running. But just sitting before him silently, why? why? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because I want to hear from you, Lord. I want to know what you think. I, w- I want your direction. I want your guidance in my life. I want you to think about this this morning because I'm talking about living holy. Living holy is living for God's pleasure above any other pleasure. Living holy is living for God's pleasure above any other pleasure. These nine chapters that are before you that I hope that you will go home and look at, God gets very detailed about what it means to be holy. He starts off with the blood and how holy the blood is and how, how, how important the way that we sacrifice is, not we but the children of Israel, how important that was to them. And then he jumps into some other things. He talks about the laws of sexual immor- or sexual morality. He communicates the moral and ceremonial laws that are there. He talks about a bunch of stuff. He talks about the standards for the priest. He talks about holy living. He talks about these feasts that are supposed to be carried on throughout the year of, of, of Israel's existence. All of these things to point to us how holy he is and how we are supposed to live for his pleasure, not our own. That he gave us things to enjoy. Are you here? God gave us things for us to enjoy, 
But we have to make sure that we're not serving those pleasures more than we're serving our Savior. That we're living for his glory, that we're living for his honor. The first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this, say private practice must be governed by holiness before pleasure. Private practice must be governed by holiness before pleasure. We just read the text in chapter 18, verse 1, and we're going to read. Let's just, let's just look at this again really quickly, and then I want to jump into um, verse 24 to verse 30. He says this. I, I, want, I want you to hear these words. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, to God's people. Say to them, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I'm the king. I'm the ruler. I'm the one who calls the shots. That's what he's saying. Not pridefully. He's simply saying, I'm the one that you owe reverence to. I'm the one who liberated you from Egypt. I'm the one who is bringing you into the land of promise. I'm that God that you should be for. I am the Lord. You couldn't liberate yourself. You were in bondage in Israel, I mean in Egypt. You were there in slavery. You could not do anything to liberate yourself from your captors. I came to your rescue. Therefore, I am worthy of reverence. I am the sovereign Lord. That's what he says to them. He's communicating this. He says, according, now look what he says, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. What is he saying? He's saying all the things you saw them doing over there, don't do that. Those things are not okay. They were practicing certain things. They were doing certain things. There were certain things that they signed off on, said, yep, that's okay. We can do this. We can do that. They were doing. He's saying, nope, don't do those things. Those things you are not supposed to do. He says, don't do those things. He says, and according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. So where you came from, I don't want you to do those things. And where you are going, you're going to see certain behaviors of the people of that land. I don't want you to do those either. Do not obey their ordinances. Don't be, why? Because you are my people. What does he say in verse 4? You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them again. I am the Lord your God. You're not bowing to the gods of the Egyptians. You are not bowing to the gods of the Canaanites. You are not serving these deities. You are serving me. I have standards. I have a way that you're supposed to live. You shall therefore, verse 5, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. He shall be blessed by them. I am the Lord. He commands them. And then when we, when we continue on, and we're not going to read every single thing here. Again, that's your homework. But what he does is he begins to jump head in. And the first thing he talks to them about is their sexuality. The first thing that God communicates to them about how they're supposed to live is about how they are supposed to behave in a sexual way. Come on now. Listen, this may be the moment. If there's some little ears in the room, you might want to cover them. I'm just saying. I'm not going to get graphic or crazy, but I'm going to use some words because I have to because they're in the scriptures, and so we have to talk about this because God talked about this. And guess what? He talked to the men, the women, the children, everybody. Everybody that was there heard these words. 
And so he steps in, he communicates with them, and he lets them know about how they're supposed to be. So one of the areas that marks God's people as holy most clearly is their sexual practices. Jesus is teaching on adultery, and then Paul's New Testament writing echo and affirm this sentiment. God's people must be pure and private. Listen to this. If we live loose and irreverent in the area of sexuality, the enemy can make us compromise anywhere. Listen, when you're raising children, you teach them about their private parts. Nobody touches your private parts. If anybody does, you let me know. That's just how it is. You teach them about their, again, private parts. Because they're what? Private. They're not to be shown to people. No one is supposed to touch them. There should be a certain level, and I use the word shame, right, when it comes. Like, you're not, you don't want your kids running around naked. Hello, come on now. It's like, hey, I'm free. No, no, no. <laughs> like, that's cool for, like, the one-year-old, two-year-old, right? I, bro, you, you know, because you're teaching them, potty training them, so they got to run naked because that's the way you teach. Anyway, that's another story. I'm potty training. It just depends on the child, right? Because one of my chi- children, they, they were good. They didn't need all that. One of the other ones, I won't tell you which one it was. You can just figure it out. But the other one, he, he, he anyway, there, there it is. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Josiah. My bad, man. I'll put your business out there, bro. <laughs> Alexis was like easy to potty train. I'm there, so let's just go with it, right? Like she was easy to potty train. I didn't do it. Martha did it. She got her. I was like, amen, praise the Lord. Martha didn't even try with Josiah. She was like, no, y'all got that. (laughs) It's like, amen, glory to God. We're like, all right, we got this. And Elaine and I were like, we got this, babe. We're going to do this thing. And this boy would not. We were like, you know, one of of the coaches at CrossFit when I was there. I'm not there right now. Amen. (laughs) But he told me, he was like, hey. He's like, you know what you do? Let him run naked. And I'm like, what? But let him run naked. And I, and I guarantee you, he'll tell you when he got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, for real? It worked, glory to God. <laughs> but now my son is eight. You think I want to run around the house naked? Hello, no. <laughs> he needs to know. It's private. And then there comes a point in our lives that we realize this, 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 this thing that is sacred. And if the enemy can get you to believe that your sexuality is not sacred... He'll get you to do anything. If you don't believe me, think of Paul's words. We'll be there later on this year in, in 1 Corinthians. But Paul talks about, your, listen, the, all other sins are outside of the body. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think, you, you, you don't, or, or do you think, not why, you think our kids are not under attack? The other, the other day I saw a mom, I saw a video. I know we're not supposed to be on social media. I know. I was doing research for this. It popped up on my, on my news feed. It was news. Hello. Come on now. Huh. And the mom, I, I, I don't know if she was in front of a school board meeting or if she was in front of like a city council. I, I don't remember which one it was. But the mom started to read one of the books she was reading from one of the books that is being introduced to our elementary school kids. And you know what they did to her when she was in the middle of reading what she was reading? I won't do that because that will be way too graphic because the little ears in the room don't need to hear that. 
But you know what they did while she was reading the words in the book that are being introduced to your kids? You know what, you know what they did? They said, ma'am, you have to stop. You are inappropriate right now because we're streaming this live and there are children. Oh, the irony, she said. It's not okay for me to read here in front of this board of people who have, a, who have a voice to say, man, that stuff is not good for our little children. But they know it's, they know it's not good for little children. But listen, I'm not going to blame man because the scripture tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is an enemy that wants our kids to just be like, hey, everything is okay. This is just, they become desensitized. There's no, there's no sacredness to sexuality. See, here's what I want to say to you. God has given us sex as a gift to be enjoyed. But God's purpose must be the standard for our engagement with that gift. Understand this. One of the worst things that, that, that some of our holiness preaching did, you know, years ago was made people think that SEX was bad. And any dad with a daughter wants her to believe that wholeheartedly. Hallelujah. <laughs> and dads with sons, you should want them to believe that as well. Are you here? But I say no, you shouldn't want them to believe that. Because then when they find out that it's not bad, then you lie to them. So you better prepare them. Oh, this is good. This is pleasurable. But not for you. Not now. When you get married, and only when you get married, not when he said, oh, I love you. Uh-uh. No, no, no. That's good. <laughs> not when he said, will you marry me? That means it's good, right? No, it doesn't. It's the moment that you consecrate your relationship before God, then you have the permission to consummate it. Hello. Don't put the car before the horse. Again, this is important for us because as the people of God, we have to be holy in the area of sexuality. We have to be, we have to be above the stand in our premarital counseling. So for those of you that have gone through, you've heard this. If you haven't and you need it here, here's what you're going to hear in one of the classes. In one of the sessions, you are going to hear that what this, this gift is for, it is for procreation, it is for pleasure, it is for protection. Those are the three purposes that we have in the scriptures for this. In the context, and only in the context, of covenant marriage. See, this, this, this has to burn in us. Like, man, we're supposed to be God's holy people. Listen, I don't know everybody's life. I don't. But you know, sometimes we see our brothers and sisters messing around with stuff they shouldn't be, and we don't say anything. It's our responsibility. If I, if, if I see Pastor Aldo doing something that he shouldn't be doing, I use him because I don't want to offend anybody else in the room. Hallelujah. <laughs> but if I see him doing something as his brother... In love, I should be like, yo, my bro, what's up with that? <laughs> in love, for God first. I had somebody come and, come and share with me 
the other day, and I, w- I won't put her out there, but she, she came to me, and she was literally almost in tears because she had to share something that she felt was from the Lord, and I received it as from the Lord. And she said something that I thought was so awesome. She's like, I fear God more than I fear you. And I was like, amen, you should. Because I can't. <laughs> he can. <laughs> I can give you a dirty look. I can tell you off. I can do whatever. I can be like, but I can't. I don't have that. Boom, no, that's not me. But in love for God, in fear of the Lord, how about this? In love for the body. See, we have to be holy as the people of God because God is holy. And let me say this, and, and I, don't, I know some of you are going to like be like, I don't know about that, but listen to me. Any sexual act that does not have the potential of procreation is sin. Some of you are like, nah, Bishop, that's not true. No, 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 hear me out. Hear me out. I'm not talking about people that can't procreate. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking like things like, and, and I, you know, there, if there's little ears in the room, please cover their ears at this moment because I'm going to say something and I, I need to say this, okay? Like self-sex? How, how is that helpful? How is that God-honoring? Anything that doesn't have the potential of procreation is going to, any, what I'm saying is, anything that is not natural, not the way that God created it, it is sin. And when you read this list, because I know you're going to go home and read this now, when you go and read chapter 18, <laughs> when you go and read chapter 18, you're going to be like, oh man, there's some stuff in there. Oh yes, there is some stuff in there. See, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this. Our culture is pleasure-driven. And this is no different than every generation before us. Ours is just devolving as judgment gets nearer. That's what's happening to us. We're just devolving. We're not evolving. Come on now. We are devolving. We are becoming more desensitized to God. We are becoming more dishonoring to God. We are becoming more irreverent for God. And so we continue to do evil and continue to to act in certain ways. This is the reason why we pray, and we've been praying for a move of God. We've been praying for revival. But you know what, church? This only happens as a result of us. What what, what, what did did 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter, what is it, 714? What does it say? If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, But there's one thing that I think we miss, and turn from their wicked ways. Can I I tell you something? The sin that runs so rampant in our culture is only the result of a church that has lost its saltiness. I know we don't want to hear that because we think we're good Christians, because we think we're good followers of Jesus. But here is the truth. The truth is our culture, we are the salt What what, what, what does salt do? It fights against decay. That's what it does. In those days, they didn't have, right? That's one of the things that it does. In those days, you're thinking, well, man, it makes things flavorful. Yeah, it does. Your church, you should make stuff flavorful. Hello. (laughs) Right? Salt salt makes thirst, right? It creates thirst. You, You know, you get somebody, that's the reason, I don't go to bars, but that's the reason why they got salty stuff on the bar countertop. Why? You start eating that, oh, man, I need a drink. 
Oh, you thought they were just being nice. Oh, no, no, they got you. <laughs> Don't go there, glory to God. Let me help you out. Just stay away. <laughs> they got you. We got you, bro. You good. Don't worry about ordering no food. Just keep drinking. Keep drinking. So we have the, the, the part of salt that creates thirst. We have the part of salt that adds flavor. But salt is supposed to be a preservative. And when the church is being the light in the midst of darkness, when the church is being the salt of the earth, guess what? Moral decay is pushed back. But can I tell you something? And this is the reason why I'm spending time talking about this. We allow sin in the church like it's okay. We allow, we allow unrighteousness in the church. Like, it's okay. That's the reason why God said, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sin. I would heal their land. See, the thing is this, is that the only way we're going to see a move of God is with us turning from our wickedness, especially in the area of sexuality. Church, we have to renounce pornography. We have to renounce masturbation. We have to renounce fornication. We've got to renounce adultery. We've got to renounce lust. We have to renounce homosexuality. Are you here? We can't be okay with these types of things, especially in the church. Everybody struggles with stuff. I get it. I said everybody. That means me too. We all struggle with it. You know what that means? I got to be on top of my game. That means I have to be intentional. I got to make sure that I'm not allowing myself to just go and be loose over here or loose over there because I'm mature enough. No, 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 no. Ain't nobody mature enough. We all are supposed to be holy. Growing in holiness, not becoming more free. That's not freedom. That's not the freedom Sean was talking about. Come on now. He wasn't talking about freedom to sin. He was talking about freedom from the power of sin. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means to be holy as the Lord is holy. We have to renounce these practices. We have to see them as God sees them. You know how God sees all of these sins? He sees them as abominations. All of them. Every single one of them, not just the, you know, because we get all, all hyped up and all upset about homosexuality. Of course, I get that. But every other thing I just said here, you should get equally upset about. You should be, be, be as upset with a person who is given to a lifestyle of homosexuality for them living that way and, and, and dishonoring God as you are with the person who's fornicating. Or you are with the person who is, who is over there just giving themselves to pornography. You should be, that, that should burn you in your heart. Why? Because it burns the Father. It burns God Almighty. We should not be okay with people living how they want to live. We shouldn't be living how we want to live. It's an abomination. It is repulsive to God. It is offensive to God. It is detestable to God. He's holy. And we're called to be holy as he is holy. Let me lighten up the mood a little bit here. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor is, best is best expressed in holy engagement. holy engagement. Loving your neighbor is best expressed in holy engagement. 
chapter 19 and chapter 20, they go together. And in chapter 19, he begins to, Moses begins to write about and communicate to the children of Israel about these moral and ceremonial laws. He begins to talk to them about these things. I want to just read real quick. We're just going to read through this, and then I'll, I'll give you a couple of points. But look at this, beginning in verse 1. It says this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. You hear that? He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. Verse 4, do not turn to idols nor make yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. So no idolatry, no bowing to other gods. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it. And we're talking about the sacrifices on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his People, you hear that? If you worship the wrong way is what he's saying here. You'll be cut off from your people. He's, he's, he goes on, he says, verse 9, when you reap, listen to this now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for who? The poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So what is he saying here? He's talking about being loving, being caring, being generous, being concerned with those who don't have. We're so worried about what we have or, or don't have, we, we forget about the others. We need every single penny. Come on now. Verse 11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. We hear a lot about this word justice. This is what God is talking about when he's dealing with justice, judging things rightly. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Can, can, can we read that again? You shall not be partial to the poor. For the Hispanics in the room. No, I bendito. Translation, for those who are not Hispanic in the room are listening. Oh, poor him or poor her. I'm going I'm to do right for them, not because they deserve it. I'm going to do right for them just because I feel bad for them. Wait a second, in judgment, we're not supposed to do that. That's not what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to judge no matter who it is. The rich guy comes, nope, don't show him partiality. The poor person, nope, don't show them partiality. What is just, what is right, that's what's supposed to be. That's the justice of Scripture. But again, we have our own ideas. You shall not cheat your neighbor. 
or rob him of his wages. We read this. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So don't go to sleep like I'll pay him tomorrow. No, pay him now, glory to God. He was waiting, right? He was working. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer. Come on, gossip. Among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You remember those words that Jesus said? He was asked about the greatest commandment. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These are where these words come from. And what he's doing is he's saying, listen, being holy is expressing love for neighbor. Are you here? That's what it means. If you want to love your neighbor, what you're doing, if you're doing it the way the Bible teaches, you are being holy. You're, you're acting in holiness because you're reflecting God's standards. You're reflecting God's purposes. We're supposed to be holy unto the Lord. And so the way we engage with honor, lo- loving your neighbor is best expressed in holy engagement. You want to love your neighbor? Man, live holy. Treat them like they should be treated. Love them the way they need to love. Don't, listen, you don't, you, don't, you don't have to be partial in anything. Love them the way the scriptures say. You see them hurting. Pastor Aldo was giving us the exhortation on serving. Man, you see somebody that's going through something. Can you help? Do you have a gift? Do you have a talent? Do you have a way that you could contribute to the need in their life? Do it. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be waiting for someone to give us an invitation. Hey, can you come help me? My wife and I were talking about this the other day, and, and, and common to us most of the time, right? And I say us, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming this may be common to others as well. But I know for us, we'll typically say something. We know somebody's going through something. Hey, if there's anything we can do, let us know. Sounds so spiritual and so compassionate, right? Come on, tell me that I sound spiritual and compassionate, glory to God. Say amen or something, hallelujah. You're all like, nope, that's not. But anyway, <laughs> and thinking about all of that, right, I was like, you know, you, know, you know, we need to change that. For us, again, I don't know what you do. Maybe you're more spiritual than I, I guess, because only like four of you laugh. So I guess the rest of you are like, yeah, Bishop, you're just not compassionate. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> I said, you know what we need to do is we need to do it like this. It needs to be like, hey, what can I do for you? Put it back on them because I don't, I don't really know what I can do for you because I may think like bringing you a meal is what you need. That may not be it. Hello. I may, I may feel like, hey, coming to visit you is what you need. That, that may not be it. And listen, let me tell you guys something. When you get that text message from us or you get that text message from someone, I know all of you are going to start doing that now. When that happens, don't, don't, don't do this spiritual thing. Oh, just pray for me. No, no, no. I don't want to just pray for you. I am praying for you. I, I don't want to hear that. I don't need you to tell me to pray for you. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, what can I do for you? (laughs) Nah, because Sean been texting everybody, hey, what can I do for you? And they're like, just pray for me. No, listen. Sean had it right. I should have just talked to Sean before, and I would have been liberated years ago from this this false compassion, I guess, that I had going on. I really thought I was being caring, but apparently I had a conversation. It's not true, but nonetheless. (laughs) 
So chapter 19 is what? It's a, we see the Ten Commandments applied in practical ways. We, we obey God's commands, right? And when, we not only demonstrate love for God, but we demonstrate love for our neighbor. This is living holy. That's what I'm talking about today. Living holy. When we obey God's commands, especially the ones that are dealing with the uh, um, horizontal relationships that we have one with the other, our vertical relationship of not having idols, our vertical relationship of worshiping only God, our vertical relationship of not taking his name in vain, that's all, ver- that's all between us and God. But when it comes to those horizontal relationship things, like not lying, not stealing, not committing adultery, not coveting, those types of things, then we are being holy unto the Lord, but we are also demonstrating the love of God. But here's the thing that I don't know if we realize, because see, we go from chapter 19 that talks about these commands and how we're supposed to live, but then you get to chapter 20, and when you get to chapter 20, you know what chapter 20 is about? Chapter 20 is about the smackdown. Hello. That's what chapter 20 is about. Chapter 20 is about the smackdown that is going to come to anyone who doesn't do what's in chapter 19. And here's why this is so important, is because loving one's neighbor is more serious than we realize. It's more serious than we realize because when we don't love our neighbor, we are distorting God's view to them. When we're not loving our neighbor, we're not walking in holiness. I want you to think about this for a moment. Fifteen offenses, 15, listen to this now, 15 offenses in Israel were capital crimes. In other words, you were either stoned, you were either burned, or you were cut off from your people. 15 offenses. I'm going to read these offenses to you really quickly. Again, you're going to do your homework. You're going to see these things there. But let me tell you the first one. Breaking the Sabbath. Wait a second. Wait a second. Breaking the Sabbath? I thought Sabbath was like optional. Hmm. No, no, no. It was serious enough. I talked about this last week. Because that's what the Day of Atonement was. It was a Sabbath rest. It was a Sabbath moment, and so wait a second, so pausing, stopping, humbling yourself, saying, God, listen, you, you gave me the strength to work. I need to rest. I need to worship you. That's, that, that, that's what's supposed to happen. At least one day a week that you're doing that, most definitely. If you work six days a week, worship, rest one day. You didn't do that, you're dead. How you like them apples? The only thing is he didn't snap his finger. He was like, all y'all pick up the stones and stone them. You know, you, do you know how excruciating a stoning death is? I have no idea, but I can imagine it's got to be painful. Slow? Broken bones? I mean, I got hit in a rock when I was a kid, like in the eye. Somebody threw a rock from like across the way, hit me in the eye. That hurt really bad. I can imagine just people stoning me. Crushing me, not not like because you think it's like little rocks, like no, no, like people grabbing boulders like as big as they can and just chucking them at you. And that's serious. Three ways, right, that they that 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 they could have been killed here for their sin was number one was by stoning. The other way is by burning. How many of y'all want to die burning? Hello. Terrible. Terrible. Hell yes. <laughs> On earth. And the other way was to cut people off. And so they didn't know if it was to cut them off, like to kick them out, or if it was just to kill them, just however. But nonetheless, the Sabbath was so serious, it was worth being stoned for. Striking or cursing a parent. 
Let's restore that right up in here. Hmm. Guarantee you, kids will be the most respectful ever. Hallelujah. They will never talk. They won't even look at their parents funny. You know, if you, when you read Israel's history, this law was there. There's never one account of a kid that got stoned. It's because they looked, oh, you, parent had a stone. Like, oh, really? Yeah? Okay. All right, keep talking. Keep, keep playing. Keep, you, you, better, you better go. You better get over there. I'm about to call the whole tribe on you. We're about to go down, boy. Oh, you think you big? What? Hold up. <laughs> you know, Hispanics in the room, that chancleta, right? Like that, you know, that, that sandal, right? Uh, the belt, right? Uh-huh. Mm, glory to God. Cursing parents, striking parents, breaking the Sabbath, blaspheming God. Engaging in occult practices. Let, 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 let me say this, right? Like, 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 please, don't do this if you do this anymore. Just repent right now. Hey, what month were you born? Oh, that explains it all. Does it, really? It's just a little leaven, man. Just like a little bit, you know. I'm, well, I'm a Capricorn. Now, shut up. Oh. You need a cap, right? But anyway, you need a stone, right? I don't, I don't get that stuff. Christians be like, oh, yeah, no, shh. No, no, no. It's foolishness. But if you engage in occult practices, you worshiped other gods, you were, you were stoned. Prophesying falsely. How about that one? Uh-huh. There's plenty of that in the church. Oh, I feel. You feel. Uh-huh. You better make sure you feel. <laughs> People weren't feeling stuff back then. They were like, nope, God didn't speak to me. Mom, nah. <laughs> they were like, no, I'm not getting stoned. Like, God had to, like, yank them, right, to make sure that they were actually adultery. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to look up for that one. Yeah. Rape. You want to cure a society of rape? Come here. Let me show you what we do to rapists around here. Unchastity before marriage. Incest. Homosexuality. Bestiality. Kidnapping. Idolatry. False witnesses in cases involving a capital crime. Killing a human intentionally. See, here's the thing, is that the biblical view of law is different from the modern view. Here's what happens. God gave his law to restrain sin, not reform sinners. He wasn't trying to make you better. He was trying to let you know, I'm not playing. I'm serious about holiness. You are my people. Be holy. We're not going to try to medicate you. No, we got medication for you. We got a fix. It's going to fix you and your whole family. And every person after you, because they're going to see what happened, and it's, you're, it's done. We're not going to have this sin. You think about the book of Joshua. Achan was like one story. Hello. That was it. Nobody else went and took stuff because, okay, God is serious. See, the penalties he imposed were for the purpose of upholding his law, not improving the offenders. 
Now, I'm not, I, I think that we should try to help people that break laws. We should try to r- restore them, and I feel like we should definitely be about that. We, especially the church. You should care about helping people get over their situations, figuring out what's going on. But, man, I'm telling you something. We have a lot of crime because we're just soft on stuff. I'm not telling y'all y'all got to, like, want the death penalty or something like that. Hello, for every single person. Be like, oh, you? Come here. It's not that. That's not how God was. It's not how God is. But God is holy, and his people are called to be holy. And so that's the reason for this. See, the harshness of God's judgment given to Israel made it known. God is not playing games. His laws must be obeyed. Here's the thing, though. God has not changed. The beauty of where we sit today is that under the new covenant, we can run to the cross for repentance. We can run to Christ, and he will forgive and God is not commanding us. Some of y'all just like, like breathe deeply now because I'm not going to after here like institute stonings. Like, no. <laughs> the fact is that God is holy and he wants us to remember that he's holy. Listen, you go to the book of Acts, don't get it twisted. It's not like it's just Old Testament. The book of Acts chapter 5, those of you that have been reading through the book of Acts, remember that story? Ananias, Sapphira, remember them? They, 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 they were like, they were excited, right? They were like, yo, Barnabas got like a, a stone in his name. He's like, he sold this property. I'm making that up, the stone thing. But anyway, he got accolades. They were like, man, this guy is generous. This guy is good. We want that. And so they're like, we got this piece of property. We're going to sell that. Then they sold it, and someone like hooked them up, I guess, and they felt like, man, we got to give all this? How about we give most of it? We'll just give most of it. Because it's at least, it's going to look like we gave him everything. And Ananias comes in, he's like, the apostles said they brought it to the apostles' feet, right? Like, Peter looks at him. See, I did Ananias and Peter now. So, (sighs) how have you let Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Boom, homeboy's dead. And then I think it's messed up, right? Because someone should have ran and told Sapphira, yo, your husband just died for this. But like nobody went and told her anything. So Ananias, I'm not going to be Ananias. I mean, I'm not going to be Sapphira. But Sapphira comes in. She's like, oh, you know, peacocking, right? Like, hey, was that how much you guys got for that property? Oh, Absolutely. She's carried out, you know, you know what you don't see anymore in Acts? You don't see people lying about giving. Hello. They were like, I'm either giving it all or no, I'm not doing anything. Or if they ask, I'm saying, yes, 100%. I took, I took, I took 10% from me. I gave 90% to the church. They made it clear, right? Because, because God has not changed. God is holy. He's holy. The third thing, repeat this after me, say holiness is developed in a life rhythm of worship. Holiness is developed in a life rhythm of worship. When you move to chapter 21 and you go through to chapter 25, he starts off chapter 21 and he is communicating specifically to the priest. 
And he's saying the priests are supposed to live a holy life, holier than any than, than others that are there, no different than today. If you read in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you go to Titus chapter 1, you see that the elders, the deacons, they had to live a life that was above, it was blameless according to the scriptures. They had to live a life that had certain standards that were there. It's no different. But here's what I want you to know. Everybody is called to be holy. Not just the elders, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, not just the ministers, not just the people doing stuff. Every single person who is calling themselves a Christian, you and I are called to be holy. Every one of us is called to be holy. And then he gets into something. So when we talk about these rhythms of worship, I said that what, what happens is he goes from talking to the priest and then he starts dealing with how the people are supposed to worship, how they're, how they're supposed to actually engage. I want you to just turn really quickly to chapter 22, verse 31 to verse 33. It says this. It says, therefore, you shall keep my, command, my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm the Lord who sets you apart, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. And then as he closes his exhortation to the priest, then he begins to talk about these feasts that are supposed to happen. And if you just look over, we'll just look at the headings there really quickly. If you have your Bible, and some of your Bibles have these headings. So chapter 23 talks about these feasts of the Lord. And these feasts of the Lord are a continual thing, a continual thing that is supposed to happen in Israel all throughout the year. And it starts off with what? Sabbaths. Remember what happened when somebody didn't keep the Sabbath? They were stoned. Every week. There was a natural rhythm that was supposed to occur for the children of Israel. They were supposed to come. They were supposed to humble themselves. They were supposed to stop work. They were supposed to worship the Lord. They were supposed to remember the one who gave them the strength, gave them the ability, the one who blessed all of their crops and all of their work. They were supposed to do that. That's the first rhythm that we find there. Then we have the Passover and, and, and unleavened bread, these different feasts that happen there. Then you have the Feast of first fruits. You have the Feast of Weeks. And again, you guys are going to do your homework and go through there. You have the Feast of Trumpets. You have the Day of Atonement, which we talked about. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And then he goes through how to take care of the tabernacle. He goes into this other thing in chapter 25. He talks about the Sabbath of the seventh year. And so God, is, is, is he cares about his creation. And so what does he do? Every seventh year, he says at the seventh year, you're not going to work the land. You're going to let the land rest. Because you know that the land rests, guess what? The, I'm going to use the, the nutrients, hello. <laughs> if you haven't seen Nacho Libre, go see it and then you'll understand nutrients, right? Nutrients. Anyway, 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 back to, back to the text. But the land will not be as nutritious, right? It's not going to produce the fruit the way that it needs to be. It won't do it. It, because what? Because it needs to rest. Just like you need to rest, the land needs to rest. You can't just keep on, keep on. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's the problem with us now. Hello. And then there was this one thing. It was, the, it was the year of Jubilee. Some of you heard about the year of Jubilee when Israel celebrated their 50th year. People got all excited when they celebrated their 50th year of being a nation recently. And, 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 and that was the year of Jubilee. 
And that year that you took off all of this stuff that, you know, if, if someone owed you something, they didn't owe you anything anymore. If someone was a slave, they're no longer your slave. Like you, all this beautiful stuff that happened, this liberty that occurred. So I'm going to just read this really quickly. I have some stuff here, and I, I, I got this from one of the commentaries that I love, and I think that this is so very important. So just stick with me in this. The feast of the Lord created a rhythm of worship for Israel, beginning with the weekly Sabbath. Again, I want to remind you, capital punishment was the consequence for not keeping this weekly remembrance. The seven feasts of the Lord are filled. They're full of rich and spiritual food. They, they need to be carefully studied. It is important to note the order. Now listen, the order of these seven feasts, for they give us a prophetic calendar for both Israel and the church. The religious year opened with Passover, which pictures what? The death of Christ. We're going to celebrate this in a few weeks when we do our Seder meal. I hope you sign up and join that. The Seder meal is a powerful time where we remember the Passover and we remember the, the sacrifice of Christ. On the day following the Passover Sabbath, which was, so that was Saturday, so that would be Sunday, the Israelites celebrated the first fruits, which was what? It was a picture of the Lord's resurrection from the dead. The following Passover was devoted to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When all the leaven was put out of the houses, what does this do? This illustrates the sanctification of believers as they put sin out of their lives. All of this took place in the first month of the year. Fifty days after first fruits is the New Testament Pentecost. Y'all know that day, right? That was the day that the Holy Spirit came and the church was actually born. In the seventh month, three feasts were celebrated. The Feast of Trumpets, which opened the month, reminding us of the gathering of God's people when the Lord returns. And so that seventh month, remember, the atonement was on day 10. On day one, they blew the trumpets. The people were going to be gathering for what? So that way they could be ready for that 10th day, which is the day of atonement, which illustrates the cleansing of God's people. And from the 15th to the 21st days, the Jews joyfully celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, picturing the blessing of the future kingdom. For those of you that were sticking, sticking with me in that there, most people that look at prophetic timelines, they think that this feast is the one that we're waiting on. This Feast of Tabernacles, when Christ will return, they think that he will return in that. But here's what we know about this. God's people are, scat are a scattered people who must be gathered. There are sinful people who must be cleansed. There are suffering people who must be given joy. And then there is this long period. It's about three months between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. And it speaks of the present age of the church when Israel is to set aside uh, because she rejected her Messiah. So it's the time right now for the Gentiles that we get to come in. And it's this long period of time. It's the church age that we live in. And so all of these feasts have this significance. And so what do I mean when I'm talking about living holy and living in these rhythms? Listen, living holy is living a rhythm of worship. It's living a rhythm of worship. Not, not, not just a Sunday morning worship. You know, as we sang this song, as we, as, as we get excited about, about the words holy, I have to ask the question, are you that excited in private? Are you that overwhelmed with the holiness of God when you're by yourself, when you don't have an amazing ministry and beautiful voices that are there to remind you of God's holy? But, but is that something that's happening? Because living a life of a rhythm of holiness means that I set apart time that I spend with the Lord, but also the Sabbath teaches what? I also set apart time to be with God's people. 
I set apart time to worship so that way we can have those moments like this. So we can have those moments that we're reminded that we can pause together and we can just bask in the beauty of the holiness of God Almighty. Living this life of worship, it entails, as, we, as you'll see there, when you do your homework, I know you will, caring for the poor and the marginalized. Caring for those who others don't care about, others don't think. That's part of living a life of worship. It's realizing, check this out, we own nothing. And we're stewards of everything. Everything we have that we have our name on, it's a, 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 we got the title, whatever. You don't own it. It's not yours. It's on loan. He gave it to you to care for it. He gave it to you so that way you could give an account for what you've done with what he's entrusted you with. Living holy in this, in this living a rhythm of worship is living with open hands before God, wanting his praise above the praise of men. God, it's not about me. Everything that I am, everything that I have, is yours. I appreciate the pats on the back. I appreciate the thank yous. But Lord, I want to know that I've pleased you. I want to know that you're pleased with my life. I want to know that you're pleased with what I'm doing. I want to know that you're pleased with what with the way that I am stewarding the things you've entrusted me with. That's what it means to live a life of worship. So here's my closing thought for you. The cross didn't lower the standard for holiness. It made us without excuse. Are you here? The cross did not lower the standard like, hey, you don't have to be holy. Jesus died. You're good. Just live mediocre. That isn't what happened. The cross made us without excuse because what? He tore the veil. After he rose and he ascended, the Holy Spirit came to live in us. And so... As I think about that, I have to ask the question, where is it in your life that you know that God is like, you are not being holy here. I'm calling you to holiness today. Where is it? And are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I will be holy unto you? I will surrender control. I will surrender my will in this area. I will yield to you. I will submit to you. Are you willing to do that? Or are you going to keep holding on to your sin like it's okay? I ask you to bow your heads right where you are. And I'll ask you this. If you say, Lord, yes. Number one, I know the area or areas where you are calling me to be holy. And I say yes to you today. Would you just stand right where you are before the Lord? Father, we humble our hearts before you in this moment. You have called us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, you see every person that has stood in this moment 
and said yes to you, not to me, Lord God. They're not responding to me. They're responding to your call to holiness, Lord. Their response is to live righteous before you, the one who they can't fool, the one who they can't hide from. And so I pray for each person that has stood up today. Lord, I stand with them as I have been challenged in this week as well. Lord, I stand with them before you and say, God, make me holy like you are holy. Lord, make me holy in all areas of my life. Lord, purify. Purify us, God. Burn in us a hunger for righteousness. Burn in us a desire to live for your glory and for your honor alone. God, we don't come to you as those who think our holiness makes us good enough for you. We come to you as those who recognize the cross is our hope. What you did for us, we could never do for ourselves. Lord, we are incapable of even complying with our commitment that we're making by standing. But we ask you now, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with the grace we need. Fill us with your power, Lord. Fill us with your presence, God. Make us holy vessels unto you, Lord. Help us to be faithful image bearers. For your glory and for your name, we pray these things. In Jesus' strong name, amen.